This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up! Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time. I am your host, James Hamrick, and I am here with my co-host, Gabe Green. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really good, and I'm hoping that maybe we can finally get into a regular schedule now. It's been a rather crazy few weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the semester to be over, and just have a, an empty slate for for recording times because i i enjoy recording more than these projects right now <laughs> all right um so we are still in the middle of the evil dead saga and or trilogy plus one and tonight we're discussing the third film army of darkness or bruce campbell versus the army of darkness both are pretty awesome and before our discussion, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes and then like us on Facebook. And uh, let's just dive right into the main discussion. Uh, James, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this came, uh, film... <laughs> James, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this film came to be? Sure. So, um, like we said in the last episode, uh, Raimi had this desire to put Ash in the, the Middle Ages. Um, and according to Campbell... They weren't able to do that with Evil Dead 2, or at least one of the reasons they weren't able to do that was just budgetary constraints and, and other things keeping that from being a possibility. Um, but obviously, with the way Evil Dead 2 ended, if they were to continue, this is the direction they they had to go. Although, I guess revising their ending <laughs> isn't, isn't <laughs> out of the, the equation. But... Like, if Evil Dead 3 came out and it just pretended nothing in the end of Evil Dead 2 happened, it wouldn't surprise me at yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, so, wouldn't be out of character at all. But they stuck to it this time, and Raimi got to make his his Middle Ages Evil Dead movie. Although, apparently, there were even still ideas about bringing it back to the cabin after that. Um, but eventually, uh, Campbell and Raimi... Um, and Raimi's brother all kind of decided we we've seen the the cabin enough let's let's stick here so whenever it got to actually writing out uh, a working script they had stuck with this idea of we're simply we're just going to constrain ourselves to this one location Um, as far as what inspired um, the ideas once we got to the middle ages um, a lot of it you can just see from the film uh, Gulliver, Gulliver's Travels, um, a, uh, Joan of Arc, along with uh, con- or the Three Stooges' continued influence over the series. Um, and so he's pulling from all these different areas. And I think you don't really have to look up what most of his inspirations were. You know, the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and Jason and the Argonauts. All of, all of these things are very much front and center. Um and and really that's most of what could be said for the concept like I said this is this is what he had been wanting to do for a bit and once he got there it was what movies do I think would be cool to pull from for this final installment yeah so uh, Raimi initially wanted to write it with Scott Spiegel who had written uh Evil Dead 2 with him uh but he was busy so Sam went to his older brother Ivan Raimi and then they wrote the script together and Ivan has credits on a lot of uh, Sam Raimi's films so for the casting, um, the only returning cast member uh, is Bruce Campbell as Ash. Um, 
The newcomers would be Embeth Davids as Sheila, the love interest, uh, Marcus Gilbert as Lord Arthur, Ian Abercrombie as the wise man, uh, who interestingly enough voiced Palpatine for the majority of the Clone Wars, which I just thought was ironic considering where we've just been, uh, where we just were. <laughs> it is ironic. Uh, ironic. Um, Richard Grove as Duke Henry the Red, uh, Timothy Patrick Quill as the really cool blacksmith, Michael Earl Reed as Goldtooth, uh, Bridget Fonda as Linda, who is the third actress to portray Linda. Um, apparently for this reason is she was a big fan of evil dead two, um, and pretty much was seeking any opportunity to, to work with, uh, Raimi, especially within this trilogy, if he was going to continue it. Um, and at first I was thinking, you know, maybe, maybe the thought process was, well, we can't use scenes again. We're going to have to reshoot. So we'll get her. But the, the beginning to this movie is really weird because they borrow some scenes directly from the evil dead two and then they reshoot mm-hmm. other scenes and i i think they didn't want to redo the effects of him falling into the of into the uh the vortex or like dropping the car from a crane i, th- I feel like they didn't want to redo those but just like whatever with the other ones so, <laughs> yeah it, it's not it's not like evil dead 2 where it's everything is completely redone and retold but to me that it's a weird mix. It's even weirder this time because it's not a rights issue, so I I don't even understand the thought process behind it. Yeah, and I I don't Bridget Fonda wasn't much. I'm assuming she wasn't much of a name at that time. I mean, she had obviously her family name, but I guess it's the family name you just don't deny. It. But it's weird, you know. You'd assume maybe Ryder as an extra in the the castle or whatever, but but no, we we redo her and we redo him chopping his hand off, but. But anyways, I, I thought that was interesting. And apparently he liked working with her because she's also has a, a pretty large part in a, a Simple Plan. Oh, nice. I'll have to check that out. Uh, la- the last notable uh, actor would be Ted Raimi, who is in quite a few roles here. He plays the cowardly warrior, the second supportive villager, Anthony, uh, the S-Mart clerk at the very end. <laughs> who then went on to... Uh, go to New York and work at a newspaper company. Exactly. That's whenever I saw him, I was just saying, "What about Green Mean?" I was like, "Ah, oh, I know this guy." And then lastly, he voiced several skeletons. As they were trying to figure out how to pay for the film, the budget they would need was simply too high. So uh, Ramy Campbell and uh, Rob producer Rob Tappert had to waive a portion of their fees to you know to cobble together the budget they would need for a fairly ambitious uh, movie, uh, considering <laughs> the series it came from. Um, for the epic uh, climactic battle sequence, Raimi based part of it on storyboards from the 1948 Ingrid Bergman film Joan of Arc, which was just interesting. I, I kind of want to watch that movie just just to see uh, where some of those influences came in because the, I saw a lot of like uh, Lord of the Rings and Helm's Deep, especially in how the sequence was, was crafted. So I, wa- I wonder if I, I'm assuming uh, Jackson was looking at Evil Dead. Just, that obviously seems kind of his his low budget horror background, but I wonder if any of that any of those inspirations that came to Helm's Deep were also from this Joan of Arc film. Yeah, I haven't seen the Joan Arc, uh, Joan of Arc uh, film, but I I noticed the Helm's Deep similarities, and it's weird. It's it's not even just one or two. There's there's several moments throughout uh, the third act where I'm thinking I have seen this. Uh, it doesn't even look yeah. like a similar. Like it's very. It feels very direct, and and knowing Peter Jackson. Uh, and watching things like Dead Alive, like this is the guy who loves Evil Dead. And there were a lot of difficulties during the sh- during the shoot 
it was shot uh, in the middle of the summer, which meant the nights were very short, and the entire climax was shot uh, on an outdoor set on location. So they only were having about six hours a day to shoot that uh, climactic battle sequence. Also, due to the budget issues, the uh, director of photography, Bill Pope, was only able to shoot a, a part of the film himself. He, he pretty much could only come on during the week. And so when they were shooting on weekends, they had to have the uh, the effects supervisor uh, step in as DP. Raimi was allowed complete freedom while shooting the film, but the studio took over during post-production. They didn't like the original ending with uh, where in which Ash took too much sleep potion and sl- and then overslept and then woke up after an apocalypse had destroyed the world. They thought it was too much of a downer, um, which this series isn't exactly a stranger to. Um, so they reshot the ending into what we have now at the hardware store. The studio was was supposedly going for a PG-13, uh, but the MPA gave it an NC-17, which I don't I don't know what there was in this movie. Like, there must have been like just one really crazy gore effect because the movie we got, even though it eventually got an R after the studio brought in independent editors, which is what Raimi wanted as well, it, they eventually gave it an R, but looking at it, I would say PG-13. Like, there's, you know, there's, there's one F word, which is allowed, and there's pretty much no gore. Yeah, it's really weird because this, I mean, as morbid as it sounds, it's kind of the one thing I was missing was just like, you know, I need at least one ankle stabbed with a pencil in this movie and it, and it never really happened. Like even the shotgun blasts don't have any blood. Yeah, that, that was especially odd. Um, with, with like with some finagling, you could probably get this in 80s PG. Th- PG exactly, yeah. Um, looking into some of the, like the cuts, it said... Um, there was like the original cut had a shot of a female deadite being decapitated early on in the film. It's <laughs> like, I, I still don't like that must have been ridiculously good. Cause it, what it, what I've heard is that that, that among a couple other shots is what landed at the NC 17 rating. But even after that, it landed R and, and apparently they, they cut it down from 87 minutes to 81 minutes in hopes to get that PG-13, but it was still R. That's why probably why they shot it, reshot him cutting off his hand. Because they didn't have, wouldn't have the blood splatter all over his face. But even then, that would have been fine for an R rating, so I don't understand. Whatever. Weird. <laughs> uh, moving on. Danny Elfman, who had just done a, who just scored Dark Man with Raimi, composed the March of the Dead theme, which is a pretty cool sounding uh, piece of music. He was good at one point. Oh, well. Uh, but Joseph uh, Laduca from Evil Dead 2 composed the main score. And finally was released on February 19th of 1993. And uh, this was your first viewing, James. Uh, what do you think of it? I really enjoy it. Um, I, I didn't go in expecting it to be better or worse than the originals because, you know, critically, it, it sits lower than, than the first two. But from many people I know, it's actually their favorite. So I was... Guilty as charged. Yeah, and so I I was ready to you know like love it or 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 only like it or or whatever, but I ended up really really enjoying it. Um, you know I I love Evil Dead too, but you know after two movies that are they're very very similar, um, it was refreshing to get this very surprising medieval epic, um, which is the biggest surprise for me was how epic it was, <laughs> and so. By the time I'm halfway through the third act, being completely impressed by like the choreography and and set design and production design and everything, uh, I walked away uh, enjoying it more than I thought I would. Um, and I, I think it, it was just because of how how surprising the the quality of the third act was. And uh, yeah, I I liked it a lot. Yeah, so I saw this 
uh, back three or four years ago when I first saw the uh, first two. I saw, I saw them all pretty close together. And it was definitely my favorite of three. I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not much of a horror guy, so this much more comedy horror action was much more along my, um, you know, along the lines of my tastes. And seeing it again, it's this movie is just fun. You know, it's pretty much as empty-headed as the previous two films. You know, it doesn't really, it has nothing to say about the characters. Well, it has a little bit to say about Ash, but nothing positive. And it really has nothing. You know, there's no comments on the world. It's just. Let's watch crazy things happen and let Ash be awesome. And it's really good at being that. You know, it's it's very brisk. It's not what is it, 81 minutes he said? And it's only 81 minutes long, so it never has a chance to become boring with how empty it is. So it just breezes by. You have a good time, you laugh a lot. And yeah, that, that that's what this movie is. Very very much like the first two films. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's there's nothing working underneath this movie's surface. Uh, but that's kind of part of what I love about it. It's it's just a series of slapstick routines, really, up until the climax. But I'm thoroughly enjoying every bit of it. And I like, I like it when a movie can acknowledge that it's just ridiculous. Don't think about it at all. Just watch it and laugh. And this movie does it the best. And if you're going to do something like that and this is what I really appreciate about it and why I can watch it and enjoy it so much is if you're going to do something like that and just be shallow and ridiculous if you have an actor charismatic enough and you have a director with enough actual like talent as a filmmaker you can get away with that and have a great time yeah, it feel it feels like it's trying to be you know the kind of Roger Corbin you know very high concept films but this actually has some money and some talent behind it, unlike most of those B movies that came out, you know, during the seventies. Yeah, 80s. and so I'm okay. I'm okay with like inconsequential. Well, not inconsequential. I guess we do get our primary antagonist out of it, but just seeing like scenes at the windmill where we're just watching for five minutes. Campbell chase around mini versions of himself <laughs> and pour a hot boiling water down his throat. It's just, it's nonstop ridiculousness. And at sometimes, literally just borrow three Stooges routine, three Stooges routines. But like in Evil Dead Two, when Ash goes crazy, we see that all the more here. And Bruce Campbell is like at the just the top of his performance with this one. Um, and it, it's it's funny because. Ash feels like a completely different character this time around, especially compared to the first movie, where he just he seemed like this well-meaning, polite little you know young adult, and here he's just this complete self-absorbed jerk who's like mimicking everything wrong with all of the cheesy action heroes. But he just he plays it so well, and it's so entertaining. Yeah, you can see they were they were starting to find this character towards the end of Evil Dead Two. And now that he's back in the Middle Ages and they threw him in a pit with a monster, he is just done with the world and only wants to, you know, uh, you know, get back to his time and possibly get with this really cute girl along the way. Like, that's all he wants out of life. And he's just going to be a total jerk to everyone around him till he till he leaves. And if you're going to have, you know, one of the most unlikable protagonists of all time, you might as well have him played by someone as absolutely likable as Bruce Campbell. Yeah, and and that was the big thing, you know, having gone so long without seeing these movies, but still, you know, just being in movie circles, I hear a lot about it, and you hear the quotes and everything, 
And so going into this movie, this is where I was like, okay, I've finally seen the ash that everybody is always talking about, which is why I, th- I think that goes to show that this re- probably is the fan favorite, just because when people talk about ash, after watching all three, this is the ash that I've heard about for years. <laughs> um, and it's funny, just like the way it's embedded itself in a pop culture. Um, I, I remember... Um, you know, playing the uh, the Spider Man Two game, and obviously the Spider Man movies were directed by Sam Raimi. But even so, I, re- I remember playing the second one, and it's Bruce Campbell who reads the tutorial instructions, and he's not just reading it like just <laughs> as if it's these very matter of fact way. He's reading it as sarcastic Bruce Campbell, and after you perform something correctly, he'll say like, "Congratulations, Mister Fancy Pants." That and so awesome. that's where I had always known the line, and and to watch the movie where it came from, and you know that's just one instance but there's so many instances of seeing something like okay wow this is all making sense like this is this is the guy that that people love yeah and there are so many scenes that like only he could pull off like when he walks up to this medieval night hey you know your shoelace is untied <laughs> but also that scene is just hilarious like they give a close-up of the, the knight's face and his like eyes twitching <laughs> as soon as he looks down uh campbell just punches him <laughs> just so ridiculous but like every scene is just played to its fullest and 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 then uh, Raby is just really playing up with this this really zany energetic over-the-top camera work like, like when he's yelling back and forth with uh the, the whatever the lord's name is and like he cuts keeps cutting back to the townsfolk and they're all like whipping their heads back and forth with every line it's just Every scene is just played to the max, and that really works for the comedy. Yeah, and that's what, like, the, the two things that make this movie work, like I said before, is Raimi and Campbell. And, and to Raimi's credit, as ridiculous and zany and over-the-top as this movie gets, you can tell that there's real talent behind it. He's never just going from, like, an A shot to a B shot. And if he is, there's something comedic about it. But most of the time, he's doing something interesting with the camera, even if it's completely silly it's creative you know and I, I love the the scene where he lets henry leave and we watch him ride out and then everybody starts like slowly taking their turn pretty much to look back at at a uh, ash and the camera's pretty much following whoever's the last turn their head and we're just slowly making our way back to look at ash and just moments like that where he's just he's drawing things out he's he's highlighting different things he's always doing something fun and so even whenever it's not bruce campbell who's on the screen doing something ridiculous raimi is always making the movie entertaining by what he's doing i think just the most perfect scene in this movie oh, there's a lot of them is after he finally climbs, he climbs out of the pit and he gets his gun like you know Listen up, you primitive screwheads. This is my boomstick, and then he goes in this long monologue about the qualities of this particular gun and where you can find it. He has to go shop smart, shop as smart. You got that? <laughs> it just like cringes. It's just perfect. Yeah, and I feel like that's really what any proper review of this movie is going to be is just highlighting everything, like all of the individual moments that they get right. Um, there's that. I think probably my favorite scene is the scene where he finds the the three different uh necronomicons and he's having to decide which one to choose and uh you know he picks the first one and it was the wrong one and he's he's going for the one at the top <laughs> and he kind of like he re- he thinks that it's like okay it's a trick so he reaches for this the the middle one and he looks back at the one at the top and kind of like points at it like he's like oh you almost got me and then his hand gets bitten instantly it's just <laughs> the whole scene 
takes so much longer than it has to. And, and, but then after he finally, you know, he, he finally gets that second book off, he like looks back at the third one, like, well, it's obvious. <laughs> after, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I grabbed the two yeah. wrong books. That's what, uh, you've seen our uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, right? Yes. So the, that the the book that bites him is like the exact design <laughs> of the Monster Book of Monsters from Prisoner of Azkaban. It's like uncanny how similar the two the two props are. Yeah, and that's I remember I watched this actually, uh, or I read the Prisoner of Azkaban. I started it like the day after I watched this, and so whenever I read that in my head, I'm just picturing Bruce Campbell flailing about. Um, but but yeah, like like I said that that scene, you know, all that's accomplished is he he goes there to get the book. But it's just it's just another instance of of Rang like all right what funny ideas can we can we pack this with and and even after the the, the hilarity that is like the first two books, you know he goes there to say to say the words, and it's I, f- I forget the or Kappa Barada, <laughs> and then the the last one. <laughs> and, I said uh, it. I said the words. It's just him pleading with the environment. You know, it's like no no you didn't you didn't hear I did say it. Um, it's. It's just so, and we, he gets back, you know, and and he's being interrogated as if he said the right thing. He's like, oh, I may not have said every single syllable, but yeah, basically I said it. Just like this defensive jerk who should not be likable at all, but it's just so ridiculous and played so perfectly that like I'm always rooting for him or laughing with him, and you know, despite whatever he's doing. <laughs> and the sequence in the windmill feels like something that Raimi really wanted to do in Evil Dead 2, but just didn't have the budget. So he's kind of just getting it out of his system. And it's got kind of pointless little scene where he's held up at a windmill and then fights up a bunch of mini hymns. Uh, but it's fine because it only goes on for like a minute or two. It's not very, it doesn't, like, he doesn't go on long enough to you wondering why you're there. But it does feel like a clip that was just excised out of Evil Dead 2 and just stuck in the middle of this movie. But that said, I mean, I'm all for having Ash fight a bunch of tiny hymns. Yeah, you mentioned you know, the swallowing boiling water or, or scraping his sto- his face off the stove with the spatula, which <laughs> like this that that sequence is really three stooges. Um, and then he's just like two headed Ash stacking around, howling at the moon, just just because the the crab walk that they oh, do, just like this mimicking so of like the exorcist of all things, but it's like it's creepy and yet hilarious all at the same time. <laughs> and then uh. Maybe my favorite line is, you know, good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun. <laughs> Which kind of s- summarizes his character in this one. Yeah, after he cuts up his other self and throws it, he's like, hey, what's you, what do you got in your face? It's just like drops dirt on his face. Um, I guess like one one pro- issue I do have with the film is the character of uh, Sheila. Like, I I'm not the guy who's going to be, you know, going to movies with the Bechdel test and, you know, f- trying to figure out whether everyone is a proper strong female character. But just the way, like, the, you have this character that takes, has, she has a lot of screen time and the, it really feels like they're trying to push some kind of relationship between uh, between her and Ash, whether he's just the boorish idiot who just wants a woman. But even they, they keep kind of going back to where he's like trying to save her. And he, like, there's, I guess they're trying to imply that there is some kind of connection between them. But her as a, like, but they do, they do absolutely nothing with her character. She only has a few lines and she's just, but then there's this really great random scene where after he gets back to the castle, she's like kidnapped by some flying monster and then taken back. And I guess raped by evil Ash 
and then she comes back evil and he saves her and they're all happy and they kiss again and it's all forgotten. Like, just what? what is that? Why is that even in the movie? Like, yeah, that was a really <sighs> weird moment. Like with the infamous tree scene from the first one, despite, you know, whatever disagreements people might have with its inclusion, you can at least track the logic of thinking this movie is about like once things happen, the movie is just trying to assault you in every way it thinks. Gore. Yeah, the ultimate experience in grueling yeah. horror is I believe the tagline. Exactly, yeah. So it's trying to be just intrusive and horrifying and and that's kind of, you know how <laughs> that's where their minds went. But here where they're like admitting themselves, you know, this is this is comedy. This is, you know, we're inspired by Three Stooges with this one and it's just nonstop slapstick and and you've got that just super macho over the top ridiculous guy and Honestly, I I'm not even like I'm not even ready to object to the character of Sheila and the way that she's treated for the most part because it just feels like a send up of that kind of like that would be fine. You know, he's 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 the big macho guy and he he has the babe on his arm like that. Like if you're gonna leave it at that, leave yeah, exactly. It at that. It's you know if you, if you go that route, then you have to keep it that way. You're you're not allowed to then have scenes like that and. I mean, at least it's not shown, but even the implication, you know, just with the ripping the shirt at the very end, like there's, there's only so many ways it's leading to. And I remember in the moment trying to come up with some, something that it's trying to imply that's not that, but there's no way, at least for me, there's no way you really can. And it's made all the worse by the other deadites just wrangling these other women in front of the camera past who have had their shirt stripped and it's like oh, oh where did they come from there they there was never any scene that shown that showed anyone else getting kidnapped and they're not even shown for the rest of the film like you just went out of your way to have these other characters walk in front of the screen and then have what's happening to her in the background it's just it's so unnecessary and we know and we know what's going to happen to them yeah too. it's it's so weird and like it's not shot as if it's trying to be mean-spirited but that's that's also part of what makes it so weird is like it's just it's shot just as flippantly as the rest of the film and it just feels weird and wrong and i really do wish that it could just kind of like you know cut like have my own edit this movie and just kind of cut that part out because it's it, it's uncomfortable in the moment and it's you know the movie gets back to just being this really weird fun great adventure romp after that but it is jarring in the moment it's like okay let me let me try to get out of that weird headspace they just put me in for some reason yeah and, and then it, it just does a disservice to the character of you know having them come back oh it's such a beautiful reunion they're happy together and just pretend you that never happened oh look skeletons with bagpipes <laughs> yeah it the movie ends up like i said picking up after that and like i said whenever you first asked me about my thoughts the biggest takeaway for me from this film was as much as i love just the series of comedy routines that lead up to the third act the third act is pretty awesome <laughs> uh we alluded to the similarities between this and the two towers and um there's a lot of like even down to like whenever they're making um <laughs> they're using his his college chemistry textbook to uh to create gunpowder and things there's the scene of like the wise man it's it the wise or is it the the blacksmith who like holds holds the camera close or not the camera holds the candle close to the gunpowder and ash just grabs his arm and like pulls it back it's like almost a shot for shot recreation of the worm tongue saruman scene mm-hmm. 
even more than that, there's also uh, this scene where after Ash first goes to the graveyard, then he's chased away by evil on a horseback. Like, there's a lot of shots in that that feel very similar to the Arwen uh, Nazgul chase in Fellowship. Just the way that shot of him, like, whipping through the trees. Like, I, I really feel like there's a lot of this movie in Lord of the Rings, but especially at Two Towers. I mean, especially at Helm's Deep. Yeah, you, you've got this big army approaching. It's night. You see all of the torches lit. You have the one, the one leader who's kind of on this platform elevated above everyone else. And there's even the moments, you know, where they're, they're battering down the... the, the um, Gates, and you've got the people from the top of the castle throwing rocks down at them, and you got the air, the volley of arrows going over the gates and and hitting them. It's, um, it, it's to me, it feels very, very intentional. It has to be. It had to have been on on Jackson's part. It also also yeah, the way the battle ends with the Red Lord coming and riding down, you know, riding with horses, cavalry down. Uh, you know, from the re- onto the rear of the enemy. Then there's a shot of them crossing, of the horses crossing the drawbridge, and they like, knock a skeleton. He kind of spins and falls over the edge, which is just like when Theoden charged. Out. Like, you know, some of it. Like, there's only so many ways you can shoot people ru- running at a castle, but there's there's so there's just way too many shot for shot recreations for it to be a you know a, a accident. Yeah, but you know the thing that that says though, like if you're being compared to what I would consider as the greatest like large scale battle in the history of cinema that that's like a that's a major compliment which this is a like a shockingly well staged battle sequence like there there aren't a lot of really good large scale battle scenes like most of them like they'll only show a tiny portion of it or just the, there are a lot of stock footage like you can you can tell when someone comes in with like an overarching vision with like different movements of action and you know, different stages of the fight, you know, it's outside, then, you know, they break in, now you're in the courtyard, now you're on the walls, like, it, ha- he has a very sequential uh, kind of battle plan, and it's all, executed really, you always know where the battle is, and it's it's all shot really well, like, this film, you know, it had an $11 million budget, like, that's not tiny, but that's not huge either, but it's, it's really surprising just how expansive this battle is, and just how well it's executed on pretty much every level. Yeah, there's there's an actual ebb and flow to the battle. You you can you can tell what's happening. You understand like the goals and everything. Um, and you know they help themselves out. You have the one item. You set your your MacGuffin right there at that one location. They're trying to get here. These are the barriers we have in place. These are the tools they have. This is what we have to counter. Like, you know, they get through the gates. Now are on on the the castle wall. Now they're through here. Now we're battling down here. Then Ash gets the two swords, and that just the duel itself is great. I remember thinking, you know, as he's as he's battling him down the staircases, I'm like, this is some sort of beautiful amalgamation of like the Lord of the Rings with the old Errol Flynn and Robin Hood. We're just these these small thin staircases and the the lone swordsman fighting off people from both sides. It's and it's really well choreographed. It feels like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all because so much of this whole trilogy often feels like the directions would just say, and then Bruce Campbell does something awesome and they just kind of wait to see what he does. But for one of the few times in the trilogy, it really feels like, no, there's there's an outside influence apart from just Raimi and, and Campbell. Like they, they've got somebody who knows how to shoot a fight scene and, and it looks convincing. Yeah, like there are very, at least from what I can see, very few like really great, uh, you know, well choreographed sword fights from that era. Like they had, there's a bunch of good fencing ones from like the 40s and 50s, but it feels like 
with the, like from like in the 80s and 90s a lot of it was just kind of people kind of randomly swinging swords at each other but the, the, like these fights feel almost modern in how uh, you know how kind of tight the choreography is yeah and then you know once once we fully appreciate how awesome this epic medieval battle is then they go they go almost straight mad max and he has his car that just bursts out of nowhere and he's got all <laughs> these all this weaponry and contraptions attached to it giant and, lawnmower yeah and it's just, why not yeah and you don't even think like okay rock, like they really jumped the shark like for me i'm just like i am so happy they're going here like every time they do something ridiculous, I'm like, awesome! I'm glad that you you had the the nerve to take it to this this notch. As long as he says groovy after creating a robot glove, I'm cool. Yeah, I mean, just that sequence alone, creating this this metallic knight, like he's he's not a mechanic or anything that we know of. And just, this uh. This grip that's just destroying this goblin, and I love how ridiculous and over the top it is. It, the the quick zoom in on the two people after he crushes it, and mm-hmm. they're over the top, kind of like <gasps> gasp at it. And and you had you had mentioned that a lot of the like these montages of of putting things together and the quick zooms feel a lot like Edgar Wright. Yeah, that, that's what people say these days when you see uh, when anyone tries to do a, you know, a, a montage with the snap zooms. Oh, they're just mimicking uh, Edgar Wright, but. It would seem that uh, Edgar Wright got this from Sam Raimi, which you know, being you know a you know a horror buff and you know into that kind of those kind of cult films, it would make sense. Yeah, and that's what's so weird about watching this. You see these influence like from such a, a tiny, in comparison to just all of cinema, what seems like just like this little cult trilogy has big influences, like out outreaching, uh, or reaching out to to directors that are, are huge now. But yeah, you know, they feel very, very similar in, in the way Wright does it and the way it's done here. Uh, and the way it's done here is amazing. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. every little bitty thing that happens has to have its own little, like, snaps. Like, even if he's just closing the the covering for the the gauntlet itself then snap zoom and then he's doing this tiny little bitty like twisting this little screw and just quick zoom in on that and cut um it's it's so ridiculous and over the top but it it ends up being really really funny in the moment yeah as one thing i was weird like did didn't he kill sheila like you know you know honey you got real ugly and then he looks like he stabbed like picks her up with a spear and throws her over a wall but she's, I guess she's fine at the end. <laughs> really yeah. weird. Like you said, there, there's no real character that honestly, it feels like the the movie just feels as if it thought that it needed a, a love interest of some sort, but it also wanted to have that scene where he does that. So they're just like, don't worry about it. He gets the girl. <laughs> he killed the demon version of her. It's it's fine. Go with it. So I doubt too much thought was put into that. All right, let's just uh, move into the, the final scene, which is also just amazing and i can't believe this was like this wasn't the original ending because it is it fits so perfectly into the tone of this film and it's like the perfect cap for this movie which i guess you 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 can kind of craft that in hindsight after you've already edited the movie um it's just you know him coming back to the modern times and telling this story i could have stayed i could have been king as he's like tagging groceries (laughs) at this cheap hardware store um, and then obviously you know, the, the the witch comes. There's a really fun uh, action sequence, and just like the, the, there are these little isolated action sequences that are so well shot. Um, this one is really really snappy and fun. The scene uh, where the old witch, uh, I guess she was originally a cook or something, 
comes into the throne room and he he fights her off. Um, like the it's just the way Raimi moves the camera is like constantly like every any camera movement he could possibly think of that will make this sequence just a little bit more exciting is all thrown together and it doesn't feel chaotic. You always know exactly what's going on despite the camera constantly whipping around. The action is just really fast and it's just great, really good action direction. You can see kind of how he took that, especially like in the Spider-Man films and he like, like it kind of perfected that style. But here it's just, there's just so much fun to watch. Yeah. Like you said, it's what, you know, thinking about the, the original ending which you know, like, I I I I really enjoy both endings, but I I think you know just because of what this was be able or what this was able to become with Ash versus the Evil Dead and everything, and just the symmetry of of him talking about S Smart and then it ending there. Name's Ash. Housewares. <laughs> it just it feels like a maybe a better bookend. Uh, like you said, it's super fun to watch in the moment. Uh, th- this is the first time we see like a deadite out in, in regular civilization and, and like just mm-hmm. this typical modern setting, which is really cool. And yeah, that, that scene is pretty much what Ash vs. the Evil Dead is, and it, it's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, there no ending is going to be better than the one that ends with "Hail to the King, baby." It's just no. Nope. It's it's just the, just quit. Yeah, you can't do it. So yeah, I I actually really it's it's one of those rare moments where I think something better came about from a uh, from the studio interference. All right, so I I think that's pretty much all there is for this movie. Uh, before we close out the discussion, uh, what is your star rating for this movie, and uh, how how would you rank this trilogy? This is a uh, our second attempt at at getting through this movie for the podcast, and I said four stars the first time. I think I'm gonna go down to three and a half this time. Mainly just because, you know, after having, you know, a week in between recording and, and watching it, um, it's definitely not one that just, like, sticks with you. And that's of its own doing, you know, like, it, it was very intentional and just being this this slapstick comedy thing. And, and I think it's all the better for it. But at the same time, it's, it's not my favorite favorite of the trilogy i'm still going to stick with the first one being my favorite part of it is just subjectivity i i love the classic cabin in the woods setting and and i could be entertained for hours with all of his ridiculous over-the-top gore effects and and the weird stuff he does with the camera in the in the closed environment um but because that evil or because of evil dead 2 despite it being different enough to feel like its own thing because it does do a lot of similar things and army of darkness is so different uh, I'll put it as my number two, though. So I, I go uh, Evil Dead and then Army of Darkness and then Evil Dead 2. Okay. So um, I'm consistent and I stand by my 3.5 star rating from the first <laughs> review. Uh, yeah. So I, I'll give this one 3.5, you know, echoing everything you said. It's just, it's a total blast. And even though I stand by giving Evil Dead 2 four stars, I'm still going to rank this one higher just because it's more in line with my taste. So I'm going to rank it up. Army of Darkness, Evil Dead 2, and then Evil Dead. All right. So um, going into this film's box office, uh, it earned $11 million domestically and $10 million uh, in the foreign market for a worldwide total of $21 million on its $11 million budget. I wonder I wonder if that's why they didn't do any more films. Like, that, 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 it doesn't look like it lost money, but it wasn't nearly the like, smashing success that the previous two films were, especially with his, with his, with his increased budget, which I, th- I think goes into the the initial reaction for this film. I, I don't know so much what the audiences thought, but 
The critics seem to be very lukewarm on the movie. Um, it only has a 57% on Metacritic, which, uh, which uh, unlike Rotten Tomatoes, it has a lot of the original reviews. And just reading through, they see that it seems to be like mildly positive and not nearly as effusive. Like they, they, they loved the first two films. And it's like, oh, the formula is tired. It's uninspired. It's all just effects. And which, which is kind of funny reading like a lot of older reviews of like, now celebrated blockbusters how often they just whine about special effects it's like nothing's changed but <laughs> yeah it's like the, the complaints were just very just like oh there's nothing new it has nothing to offer and uh, those people are sad just what's wrong with yeah, them yeah there's a lot of cynicism in the reviews and <laughs> i i would really push against the it's just the same tired plot uh this is this is a wholly different beast than than the first two and part like with the the lower performance at the the box office, one of the things that I found super odd was just the way this movie was presented. Um, one, just the title, Evil Dead, not being in the title. Apparently, the original title was going to be called Medieval Dead: Army of Darkness. <laughs> which That's do that? That's I mean, you set yourself up for the perfect pun. It's it's amazing. Um, I think in my head it's just going to be medieval dead now, um, but yeah, well, I, I went so, back. That is oh, so weird. Like this was a hugely popular cult franchise. Like it was like genre defining. Why wouldn't you connect yourself to it? Like you like otherwise you're making just this. What is this wacky B movie with Bruce Campbell fighting skeletons? Whatever. Like the like. I don't know. The marketing was not the same back then. Yeah, and I, I went back to watch the original trailer, and this is what was most odd to me. Um, it's one thing to not have any connections in your title, but in the trailer it says from the director uh, Sam Raimi, or from Sam Raimi, the director of Darkman, and that's it. <laughs> Which was a, yeah, that, that was a smash hit, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, there's not a single reference to Evil Dead in terms of like any like title cards or anything it's just the guy who brought you dark man here's army of darkness like i mean obviously anybody who who loved it is going to see this trailer and and be like okay i know that's ash but maybe people who saw it once and enjoyed it and like maybe left their mind or you know the internet was not around back then you had to like you had to see this and and hear about it from like people who know clearly what it was advertising was just different i feel like you had to be much more upfront back then and and for them to almost seemingly like go out of their ways as you know with the idea of the the studio interfering and trying to get down to a pg-13 rating like which is contradict like the the series is known for just ridiculous gore effects so it it seemed like they were intentionally distancing themselves from from what people loved about it and from from the title and maybe the, the slasher was just dying at that time. But I don't know, like all the other like uh, Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare and also they they continued well into the nineties. So the only thing I could I can imagine would be they're just trying to distance themselves from horror, which doesn't feel right considering how, how you know how much of a money maker low budget horror films still were. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's just really odd, which is probably why the series ended at that point, at least for a while. But going to the fans, uh, this ha the film's legacy has been much uh, much more positive. Uh, I know, like a large portion of the fan base, me included, uh, consider this the best film in the series. Uh, it's definitely the most accessible one. 
Um, and the overall consensus seems to be like, this is the one that is kind of, it kind of redefines the series and is now the one, like, even though people might say the first two are better, this, this is the one that people, as you said, like, it's strange because like Evil Dead is so entrenched in Cabin of the Woods and yet Ash Williams, the title character, is so much from this movie. It's, it's the, the series legacy is kind of funny that way. But uh, like when people talk about kind of the fun ridiculousness of what this series is, a lot of that comes back to Army of Darkness. Um, and obviously this is where Ash Williams, you know, this jerk hero is kind of given to the world. And for that, I'm very thankful. <laughs> We're all the better for it. Yes. All right. All right. So that was Army of Darkness. Again, I'd like to ask you guys uh, if you have a moment to go and give us a rating interview on iTunes. And if you want to like us on Facebook, we are there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at FranchisedPod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? Uh, you can primarily follow me at uh, Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's J L H A M R I. Um, still try to update uh, my profile with as many reviews as I can and just star ratings um, outside of that you and I both admin a page on a, or a group on Facebook called Star Wars Fans Who Actually Like Star Wars and uh, it's been a really good way for me to, to hold on to Star Wars now that we're done with it on the podcast I am also on Letterboxd I am there as Gabriel Green I am on Twitter as Gabe A. Green and also on um also on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. Um, and so next week we are going to do the remake or maybe sequel. I don't, I've, I've heard both. I haven't actually seen it, but the uh, the 2013 film Evil Dead from uh, Fede Alvarez, um, which I I like Fede Alvarez a lot, but I also I'm terrified of horror. So please pray for me. This is going to be this is going to be hard. Yeah, I I remember seeing the trailer for this and thinking like this looks like a good one, but I I didn't go out and see it because I hadn't seen Evil Dead yet, and I was like oh, I'll probably miss a lot of what makes it great. But I haven't seen um the I forget the newest Girl with the Dragon Tattoo entry, whichever that was. That Girl in the Spider's Web. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen that one yet, but I have seen Don't Breathe and was really impressed by his direction in that one uh, his ability to put me on the edge of my seat was um, pretty impressive so yeah both both movies are incredible just from a directorial perspective yeah so I'm very excited to see what he does with the the setting and, and lore of Evil Dead alright uh, so we will see you next week in the remake slash sequel slash who knows hail to the king baby 